When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is the Dan Grasso Show. This isn't going to be easy. It's not. Butler is going to have his points. He's going to go off. There's going to be games where he just goes out there and seems unstoppable. The trick to beating a team like Miami is, if Butler's going to go have his, just don't let the other guys around him beat you as well. But look, bottom line, Knicks are the favorites in this series. You got home court advantage. You don't want to look too, too far ahead, but you can't tell me if you're a Knicks fan that at least the idea and the thought is not kind of circling in your mind a little bit that, hey man, we're four wins away from the Eastern Conference Final. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Game one will tip off at the world's most famous arena. Knicks and Heat, round two of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And, of course, you're going to hear every bounce of the ball right here on 98.7 ESPN. And the guy who is behind the mic for each and every one of those bounces of the ball, is our next guest. And, of course, he will have the call on 98.7 ESPN New York, and MSG Networks will also have extensive pre- and post-game coverage before and after every game of the Knicks Heat Series. I am, of course, talking about my good friend Edward Cohen, who is nice enough to get up early on this rainy, crummy Saturday to talk Knicks with me. And I'll tell you this, before we even get going, I know that as soon as the Miami Heat eliminated the Milwaukee Bucks, you, my friend, were doing cartwheels up there in Westchester because you would much rather get on a plane and go to Miami than Milwaukee (laughs) at really any time of the year. Is that not true, my friend? I like Milwaukee. Yeah, My wife went to Wisconsin. It's you know, 90 minutes from Chicago. The lake is beautiful. Great restaurants. So let's not let's not kill Milwaukee. But you, you listen, sound like a politician Nick, for Nick crying Heath. out loud. What office are you running for? <laughs> <laughs> I will say this, man. I, I just think if you're a Knicks fan and coming off high of closing down five in Cleveland, and you look three hours later, now. Obviously, Miami's playing great, and you kind of shoved the side that they're the eighth seed. We've seen that before. Uh, they're not the eighth seed. They're a team that just beat the number one seed. They're really good. They've got a player who's built for times like this. But just Knicks, Heat, Dan, Knicks played well against them in the regular season. Um, I think they're both cut from the same cloth. The coaching is going to be terrific. You've got um, tough, gritty players on both sides. I just think – the series itself is going to be fascinating. But, yeah, if you're the Knicks, would you rather go against um, Miami versus if the Bucks are healthy with Giannis? I think if you had a chance to choose, you'd probably choose Miami. But with that said, this is going to be just a street fight for the next five, six, seven games. No doubt about it. And, and I mean, you and I are kind of, you know, in, in that same age range and stuff. I mean, you can't tell me that the nostalgia – is automatically coming racing back into your mind, thinking about the late 90s and what Knicks heat used to be this time of year and how this city used to get so charged up for it. And lo and behold, it's taken about a quarter century, but we're here again. And you know what? Both of these teams kind of, you know, they have that kind of street fight mentality with the way they're constructed. And that's why this can almost be like an old school best of seven here, man. 
Yeah, I think no question, Dan. And, and and I think the characters in the series are the ones who really make you feel that way. You can start with the coaches. I mean, Eric Spolstra has been in that building for almost 30 years, uh, going back to the video room, uh, you know, working his way to the bench, being head coach. So he came up through that way with Miami in the NBA. Tom Thibodeau was on the bench. I mean, you go back to the clip of Allen Houston, they cut away to the bench. You see Mike Martinez, the Knicks' longtime equipment manager, raising his arms going crazy. And there's Tibbs, uh, kind of delayed reaction, but realizing, wow, we're up by one with .8 to go. So they've lived it. And then Jimmy Butler, yeah, they're the Tom Thibodeau ties going back to Chicago, Minnesota. Um, but the way he elevates his game in the playoffs is, is really the key to watch in the series. But conversely, you could say the same about Jalen Brunson. His dad was on the bench in 1999. Uh I mean, it's fascinating to think about the roads to this point this year for Miami, New York, but the times it's, it really is unbelievable to think, you know, it's been almost 25 years and and it very much feels just like it was in, you know, 99 and 2000. All right. You've watched 87 games this year from this team. Did you learn something over the last five games in that Cavalier series that maybe you didn't know about this team all throughout the regular season? That's a good question. Um, I think two parts. Number one, it's that the Knicks could play their brand of basketball and be really successful at it. And I think that was some of the fear going into the series with Cleveland. You're going against a team of Cavaliers that were number one in the NBA during the regular season in defensive rating. Uh, the length up front, the best player statistically on the floor, Donovan Mitchell. And the Knicks playing their pace, rebounding, um, getting contributions from everybody on the roster, that to me was impressive. That took it to another level. We knew that what they did during the regular season worked, uh, but to see it in a playoff series like that and to win twice on the road uh, and to go back home 1-1 and win the last three games the way they did, that was impressive. And I think the second part of it is kind of seeing the progression of each player within the series. Barrett, after the first two, shaking that off, and you could really make a case he was the MVP of the series for the Knicks. Without what mm-hmm. he did specifically at the Garden, they don't win the series. Robinson, game five, just, I mean, a clinic. It was it was awesome to see what he was able to do. You know, those 18 rebounds, every one of them was tough. And I think, you know, to add to that, Obi Toppin, guys like that, Julius Randle didn't have the best series. He was fighting through the, you know, after effects, coming back from the ankle. And you could plug in a guy like Obi Toppin and get great third quarter and, in the case of game four, fourth quarter minutes. I think the value those young guys provided um, – in spots the Knicks desperately needed it. That was quite encouraging. Talking with Ed Cohen, of course, he the voice of the Knicks here on 98.7 ESPN. Knicks and Heat get it underway tomorrow, 1 p.m. from Madison Square Garden. You hear the coverage beginning at 1230 right here on 98.7. You mentioned Randall, and he re-aggravated the ankle. And, and, and look, we're not doctors, we're not trainers or anything like that, but I, I think a layman would be able to tell you that the only way that ankle is going to get close to 100% is if he gets off his feet and doesn't play any basketball, and it's going to take probably some time into the summer before he starts feeling 100% again, which we know is not an option now that you're in the NBA playoffs. Realistically speaking, 
Do you think that there's a way for Julius Randle to still have a big factor in this series for the Knicks or however long their season is going to go if he's not going to be close to 100%? Meaning, if he's not going to be scoring, is he going to be able to do other things and the guys play off of him even in from a facilitating type of a role? I think the answer is yes, and here's why. Uh, if you really break down the Cleveland series, you know, games one and two, Tom Thibodeau, I thought, did a really good job of streamlining the minutes with Randall in games one and two. Uh, first game, he was out there to start, made a couple shots that really helped him get going, the rhythm for him, the rhythm for the team, but then he took him out five minutes in, and Toppin was thrust into playing first quarter and third quarter minutes in the first game of a playoff series. But it worked. They won the game. Game two wasn't good, but third game he was back to playing nearly the entire first quarter and a lot of the third. And, you know, it's a lot of minutes, but it showed, look, I'm going to ease him in, and we're going to get him to a point where he's playing his usual allotment of minutes. Now, the numbers shooting-wise weren't there, uh, but at the same time, Dan, I think the big part of a guy like Randall is he's an all-star. He scored 25 per game. You need him out there for a defense to account for him. Because if they don't, then he's going to get some open looks. And if he makes those shots, it's a brand-new ball game. Uh, game five, go back to the game the other night in Cleveland, he mm -hmm. had six assists in 16 minutes. That was big. He wasn't making threes, but he was impacting the game with his presence. So can you get by for a game or a stretch without him? Sure, it's the playoffs. You find a way. But do you need him on the floor over the course of a series, especially against Miami? You do. But I'm confident that even if, to your original question, it's not the Randall who's fresh and ready like it's the middle of the regular season, I still think he gives you a ton of value when he's out there. You mentioned Mitchell Robinson as well. And, and the performance by himself, you throw in Hartenstein in that last series against the Cavaliers, against their respective bigs. It was like men against boys. And I don't know if that was something that any of us kind of foresee happening before the series got underway. I mean, that was a clear and decided edge for the Knickerbockers. Now, I don't think it's going to be that easy in this round because you're dealing with Bam Adebayo, who is a, an upgrade player over what Cleveland had. And also Miami's a better rebounding team than what the Cleveland Cavaliers were. But just in terms of how Robinson took his game to the next level, do you think that that's continued maturation, improvement on the player, or was it the fact that maybe it turned out to be more of a favorable matchup than what we saw going in? I think it's twofold. Look, if you go back to Cleveland, um, Allen and Mobley struggled. Um, they're young. Allen had a little bit of playoff experience. Mobley didn't, but they were dominated by those two guys, and even throw Randall in there as well. I mean, the Knicks won that matchup running away over the five games, and I think Robinson kind of progressed too. Uh, but this has been the story of the season with those guys. If you look at Hardenstein, first half of the year, I wouldn't say it was a disappointment, but he wasn't nearly the guy the Knicks expected him to be when they signed him in the offseason. And then something clicked, and I think he realized and the team realized you've got great value as a rebounder, a guy who can keep possessions alive. You know, Robinson's great at it, but Hardenstein, I think, kind of met him there too especially coming off the bench. And that was vital for a team that was so good all year on the glass. And that didn't really waver against Cleveland. Now, against Miami, they're going to be ready for it. But the Knicks, especially after going up against Cleveland and dominating the boards the way they did, um, 
they've got to be favored in terms of that matchup. It's going to be tough for Miami. That's going to be probably the area where they really have to clean clean things up on their end um, against those two guys. But I I think, you know, to your original question, Robinson Harnstein at some point in the middle of this season realized what they do best, you can play to those strengths. Don't try to be someone you're not. And I think that's where it's really worked um, against Cleveland throughout the season and why you feel so good about where the Knicks are up front uh, going into the series against Miami. And, and, you know, too, we'll, we'll close on this. You think about, you know, Randall not being 100% and, and Grimes sounds like he's going to try to give it a go, but he's hampered a little bit here. Let's not forget on the Miami side of things, they don't have Tyler Hero, and that is a big loss for them. We've seen him have huge games against the Knicks and to, you know, eliminate that type of sharpshooter potentially from that lineup. I mean, that that's also a nice little feather in the Knicks cap going into this best of seven. It's fascinating, Dan. I mean, you strip away a team's second-best scorer and their most clutch player outside of Jimmy Butler, you think, okay, first off, you lose them in game one on the road, you hold on to win, even though Giannis went down in the game. Uh, but to do it the way they did the last couple of games was remarkable. And Duncan Robinson, as an example, he was out of the rotation after December 31st. I mean, he barely played – the second half of the year. He played just one game against the Knicks. Didn't even play the first three during the regular season. He might not even play in the series, let alone get in late in game one and now be a vital guy off the bench um, in the playoffs going forward. But you made the point, you know, Butler's Butler. He can score and he can take over with that assassin-like mentality late in the game. Um, You know he's going to do that at some point. If it's close, that's where he shines. And he could struggle for two, three quarters. You don't even realize he's on the floor. Then comes the fourth, and he elevates his game to a different place. But then they're the rest of the guys. They shot 45% from three against Milwaukee in those five games. They shot nearly 52% from the field and scored 124 per game. They were 30th in the NBA in scoring in the regular season. They were first, as of now, in the first round of the playoffs. Now, if Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, if you're giving them shots and they're making them like they did against Milwaukee, it's going to be tough. Um, If they're not getting those looks and they're not making those shots, that's where the series could really change. But you've got to tip your cap to Miami. I mean, what they did without Hero and Oladipo and the other guys stepping up um, for an eighth seed against a team that won 58 games, it was really an impressive performance, you know, beyond Butler. Miami. No doubt about that. Well, we're here. Round two tomorrow begins at 1 p.m. I think all Nick fans would have signed up for an opportunity to win four games to get to the conference finals. Can't wait to get this one underway. We will be listening, my friend, as always, and uh, have yourself a great series, okay? Buddy, thank you. And just to join you on a Saturday morning under these circumstances, we've been waiting a long time for it. So um, can't wait and um, have a great show, bud. Thank you, as always. There is the great Ed Cohen, of course, play-by-play voice of the New York Knickerbockers, and Ed's going to have the call on 98.7 ESPN New York and the MSG Networks. We'll have extensive pre- and post-game coverage before and after every game of the Knicks Heat Series, so make sure to check it out. Done a lot of basketball this morning. We come back. Got to get some football. Day three of the NFL Draft. What have the locals done the last couple of days? Tell you what, got to be impressed no matter what side 
of the city that you root for. Dan Grasso Show, we roll till noon right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. He is wheeling and dealing, and he's made some moves, which I got to be honest with you. And and look, I am the first one to tell you that everybody that wants to assign grades five minutes after the draft is over and who won and who lost and all these other things, I, I mean, it's foolish. It really is nonsensical because you need a few years before you know if these guys were the right pick or the wrong pick. We're not going to do this five minutes after the draft is completed, but you can at least evaluate it from a team-by-team perspective and say, well, did they address needs? Whether the player turns out to be good or not, said team had a hole at this position, they drafted a guy who they think is someone they're going to be able to plug in, and okay, you check a box. And with the Jets and the Giants over the first two days of this draft, they've checked boxes, right? At the very least, you've checked boxes. Now, let's start with the Giants here for a second because Giants have had three picks as opposed to the two for the Jets. On Thursday morning, when we were doing the show and we were looking ahead to, okay, what could round one have in store for both of these teams? When you looked at the Giants and you identified needs, you said to yourself, corner, wide receiver, offensive line. Those would be the three I thought that stood out more than the rest for the Giants. And if I had my druthers and if all things were equal on the board, I said in round number one I would go corner because I felt that that was a greater area of need for the Giants than even wide receiver. Remember, Giants brought in a couple of wideouts during the offseason and, you know, to throw them to the guys that are going to be coming back from last year's team, you still had a little bit more inventory there. Corner, on the other hand, I at least didn't feel when looking at the Giants' depth chart, the guys that they had available outside of a Dory Jackson, you know, to be a legitimate, viable, you know, starting corner in the National Football League on a really, really good team, I thought that you could maybe look to upgrade that there. And you throw in the fact that a Dory Jackson is going to be a free agent at the end of the season, you know, the Giants could use some beefing up. So what do they do? They go out there and get Deontay Banks, the kid from Maryland, who by all accounts could be a really, really good player for him. Right, And this is a giant team, by the way, which if you watch them play defense last year, they only had like five or six interceptions, right? So you get another guy, hopefully with some sure hands that can be able to pick off a couple of passes. Good move by the Giants. Then you go into last night. All right, those other two areas that they didn't fill yet, offensive line, specifically on the interior, where you lost Gates and you lost Feliciano, and then still that wide receiver position. Well, 
They took the center in round number two in John Michael Schmitz. And you talk about bragging rights, and you talk about who's better, who's this, who's that. Now you're going to hear Jets and Giants fans for the next five years go back and forth with one another. Not about whose quarterback is better. Not about who's, you know, got the better running back or the better wide receiver. No, who's got the better center? Because both teams take a center in the second round of the draft. Jets decide to go with Tipman from Wisconsin, and the Giants get another Big Ten center, the kid from Minnesota and John Michael Schmitz. He's going to be the guy, right? This is the guy that they are going to entrust to be the anchor of that offensive line. He had a great week at the Senior Bowl, and he's not your average rookie. He went to college for six years. You know, and if you could use the old line from Tommy Boy, you know, a lot of people go to college for six years. They're called doctors. But he redshirted year number one. You also had that COVID year, which he took advantage of. So I might, he, he must have loved Minnesota like it was heaven on earth, apparently, and just didn't want to leave the campus. So he's 24 years old, older, more mature than your average rookie. So I don't think you have any reservation if you're the Giants about turning over your offensive line in the center position to him. So good pick by them. And then in the third round, you get Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver from Tennessee. This is a guy that before the draft started, he was considered a top five wide receiver in this draft, according to a lot of experts and on a lot of boards. He was the Bolitnikoff winner in college last year, which goes to the, the you know, best wide receiver in the college game. He was even an option maybe for some teams in the first round. So to be able to get him in round number three, that's pretty good value. He, he kind of has a lot of the same attributes as a Darius Slayton, somebody who's already here, you know, speedy guy in the slot, can get vertical if need be. But if you're the Giants, you picked up three players who were considered to be probably like top 45, top 50 prospects in this draft. It's pretty good. And he didn't make any crazy trades to like move up and get them. You got one each in the first three rounds. So that's pretty good value there, I think, if you're Joe Shane. Giants have four more picks today. They have a fifth rounder, a sixth rounder, and two in the seventh round. Remember, the Giants began this draft with ten picks. So if they stand pat and don't do anything else, they're going to get seven. Remember, they gave up a few of those to move up and get a couple of these uh, choices over the last couple of days. Jets only had the one pick last night, and that was in the second round, and they go with Joe Tipman. He's got an awesome mullet from the University of Wisconsin. The thing that stands out about Joe Tipman is that he's a lot bigger than your average centers are. And when I say bigger, I'm not talking about like wide or strong or anything. He's 6'6". Like centers are not that tall. Usually those are like reserved for the outside guys, the tackles that are that big with the long wingspans and so on and so forth. But to have a center at 6'6", even though it's a little bit rare, that's what the Jets are tapping into here. And as I said, he's going to be linked to the guy that the Giants took as long as their careers last here in NYC. And you always kind of thought, right, that those two second-round picks that the Jets had, which we knew one of them ended up going to Green Bay in the Aaron Rodgers trade, you just kind of had a feeling that one of them was going to be tapped to go to the center position, even though they re-signed Connor McGovern. But... You know, the Connor McGovern thing, when that move was announced earlier in the week, I kind of viewed that as an insurance policy more than anything else. Remember, the way the contract was, I think it was only for like 1.8, 1.9 or something like that. That's kind of money you're paying to a backup, right? So McGovern, I think, is an insurance policy. They said that they're going to battle it out, and best guy's going to be the starter. 
I think Joe Tippman's going to be the guy week one. And he's going to be the guy under center for Aaron Rodgers. You're not wasting a second-round pick, which in the NFL draft is a premium pick, to go out there and take a guy who's going to sit, right? And a guy who's not going to be out there helping your quarterback, your new franchise player, the guy that you're resting all your hopes and dreams on from the bench. You know, they wouldn't do that. It doesn't make any sort of sense. So we'll see where that thing goes. Jets have three picks today. You got a fourth rounder and two fives, the ninth pick in the fifth round and the 36th pick in round number five as well. So not too, too active for the two locals here as we move forward here for the rest of the draft. And as far as like the quarterback position is concerned, you finally had the Will Levis National nightmare come to an end last night. He goes to Tennessee in the second round, 33rd overall. I think that's a good pick for Tennessee because their quarterback situation is far from secured for years to come. You know, Ryan Tannehill could be done after this year with the Titans. They obviously took a flyer on Malik Willis last year, and that didn't work out considering the fact that they benched him (laughs) down the stretch when they were trying to secure a playoff spot in favor of Josh Dobbs. So, you know, they kind of been there and done that already. So Levis is probably going to be the guy for them, maybe as early as this year, but definitely by 2024. And then Tennessee's Hendon Hooker, a guy who got hurt last year, he goes in the third round to the Detroit Lions. So three rounds into this draft, we've only seen five quarterbacks come off the board. You had three go in the top four, and then only two more the rest of the way. So we'll see what happens here over the next four rounds this afternoon as we close out the NFL draft and can turn our attentions to the NFL schedule. And then on to mini camps and all that stuff, and then get ready for what hopes to be a pretty exciting season for the football locals here in 2023. Now, when we come back, I want to—I want you guys to hear something that happened a couple of days ago, and I think it kind of ties back to the big move that the Jets made this week with Aaron Rodgers, and a lot of the conversations that we've been having on these shows about Aaron Rodgers, really for the last, like, two months, when it became a possibility that maybe he would be moving on to the Jets and and a lot of the rhetoric that's been swirling around. And it took somebody in another sport to make some comments that I think shed some light onto the conversations that we've been having. Play that for you coming up next. Dan Grass's show we roll till noon on this Saturday right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. (laughs) This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We're taking it right up until 12 noon on this Saturday. Remember, Ranger Hockey tonight coverage beginning at 730. Devils Rangers Game six at Madison Square Garden. Let's go to Dan in Garden City, who is up next. Wants to talk a little jet draft. Danny, how are you? All right, Dan. How are you doing today? Excellent, sir. What's going on, buddy? Good stuff. So, so listen, you just touched upon the Jets draft. And I, just, I was on yesterday. I heard you 
talking to a disgruntled Jet fan about how we're in a tough spot with our O-line, and I think you were referencing we didn't have a lot of draft capital. So I'm just wondering, there's a lot of faith in Joe Douglas. Obviously, we picked up Tipman yesterday. Just kind of how do you think it plays out? What's your confidence in, you know, Beckton coming back? And just how do you think our O-line will fare this season? Any more moves we're going to make? And obviously, we got a couple of late draft picks here, but I'm just wondering kind of what you think. And is that going to be a liability, or are you confident in the uh, – the O-line situation to the Jets. Thank you. I'm not going to use the word liability, and Dan, thank you for the phone call, because I I think, and I think this is how they also view it. Last year, what happened with the offensive line, it it really was not a reflection on ability. It was a reflection more and a byproduct of bad luck, right, more than anything else. And, and, And guys just got injured. Nothing more, nothing less. And I think that the guys, for the most part, that were out there, they battled all season. And they played through injuries, you know, starting with Dwayne Brown, for example, and held it together as long as they could. And then ultimately it just kind of gave out in those final few weeks. If, if you look at the offensive line right now, and, and let's just assume nothing else is done, now you got center figured out. Because up until this time last week, you had a gaping hole at center because McGovern still wasn't re-signed. And obviously you get in draft Joe Tipman yet. So you got your center situation figured out. That's number one. AVT is coming back. You figure to plug him in at right guard, but you also know that if need be, you can kick AVT out to right tackle, and he can handle that position well because he was asked to do it at times last year. The dude is a stud. He can play anywhere. All right? Lakin Tomlinson, who he'll be the first one to admit, he probably would have wanted a better year one with this team. But you're paying him a lot of money because the guy's accomplished some things in his career. You hope for a better bounce-back season from him, but at least that's somebody that answered the call each and every game for you last year. So, so that's a third guy. Dwayne Brown, in all probability, is going to be your left tackle next year. And, and last year he played with one shoulder. He really and truly did until the Jets were eliminated and then he finally shut it down. I mean, that's why they kind of – created this award that they gave him at the end of the year, like the Selfless Warrior Award, just because he played injured all season long. He's respected as all hell in that locker room. So I have no problem sticking Dwayne Brown out at left tackle. And then you look at that other tackle spot, whether that's going to be Becton, whether that's going to be Max Mitchell, who you have coming back, who's to say that the Jets don't draft a tackle Sometime today, over the final few rounds, I mean, that's still also a possibility. You're going to have guys that are going to get cut, especially after this draft is over. You know, some teams might decide, well, you know, we need to free up salary cap space. We just drafted so-and-so, and we think that he's going to be a cheaper alternative, so you get rid of a veteran. Remember a couple of years ago when the Jets signed Morgan Moses? They signed him in the spring during off-season uh, workouts and mini camps and that type of thing. That could also happen again. You bring in another tackle. So Joe Douglas is somebody who's never going to be content with, you know, just saying this is what we have. You're always going to be looking to fine-tune things. So I would probably say that that's the best answer, but I would expect the offensive line to be better next season because at the very least, it defeats the purpose to bring in a Hall of Fame quarterback in Aaron Rodgers if you're not going to have a stout offensive line because Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, I don't care who the hell it is, Otto Graham, if you don't give them an offensive line, it ain't really going to make a hell of a lot of difference who's playing quarterback. I could be playing quarterback, and you'd get the same result. Now, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, last couple of months, when it became a possibility that, you know, this, this could be something, there were a lot of people, even Jet fans, 
that didn't think it was the right move. He's washed up. He's on the downside. He's a me guy. You know, all the, all the same things that we'd heard. And then a lot of people would throw out there into the air, well, you know what? He's not clutch. Think of how many bad losses he's had in the playoffs. Think about how many games he's lost at home just in the last few years. San Francisco went in and beat him. You know, Tampa Bay with Brady went in and beat him in the championship game a couple of years ago. Last year, loses to the Lions in the final game of the season at home with the playoffs at stake. You know, this guy chokes in the big spot. Blah, 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 blah. Heard a lot about that, right? Overlooking the fact completely that just from an individual standpoint, stats, accolades, you name it. I mean, the guy's as accomplished as any quarterback of this generation, maybe not named Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. And he's one of the probably 10 greatest quarterbacks of all time, one of the most physically gifted quarterbacks to ever play the position. And all that other stuff, it seems like it gets buried because he's lost a few playoff games over the years, and he's lost more playoff games in big spots than maybe he should have won, according to some. So that's something that kind of is, you know, been there. Not my thinking, but a lot of people feel this way. So the other night I'm watching the NBA playoffs. And I'm watching that Heat-Bucks game. And, you know, Miami goes into Milwaukee in overtime and eliminates the Bucks. Like, all right, an upset. Wow. And so Giannis, of course, after the game, you know, he's the face of the Bucks, and, you know, great player and everything, MVP multiple times over. He meets the media, and so, you know, his comments are always going to be splashed all over the place because he's one of the voices of the NBA. And there was a member of the media in Milwaukee that after the game asked him a question that, you know, they lost in round one, which means they're not going to win a championship. Does Giannis consider this season to be a failure, that they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, but yet they're out in round one? So, the question was posed to the Greek freak, is this season a failure? Take a listen to his answer. Do you view this season as a failure? <sighs> oh, my God. Uh, you asked me the same question last year, Eric. Do you get a promotion every year on your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, provide a house for them, or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. I don't want to make it personal. So, there's always steps to it. Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championships. The other nine years was a failure? That's what you're telling me? No, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful, some days you're not. Some days it's your turn, some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports is about. You don't always win. And this year, somebody else is going to win. Similar as that. We're going to come back next year, try to be better, try to build good habits, play better, not have a 10-day stretch with uh, playing bad basketball, you know, and hopefully we can win a championship. So 50 years from 1971 to 2021 that we didn't win a championship, it was 50 years of failure. No, it was not. It was steps to it because you asked me the same question last year and uh, last year I was in the right mind space to answer the question back but I remember it next so I don't know how many of you heard that you know it's gotten some good play over the last couple of days but it got me thinking immediately when I heard that to all the stuff that we had been talking about with Aaron Rodgers and that you know some people are trying to throw cold water on all of his accomplishments because he only has the one Super Bowl 
right? He, he's only got the one. So we're going to sit there and not acknowledge all the great things that he's done in winning four MVPs and having the Packers all those years in position to go to a Super Bowl. And remember, that's one game. In the NFL, you have one game in the playoffs that if you're not at your best, that if the other team is better, remember, those guys are getting paid to win too. And football in a sport, it takes more than just one guy. You could throw the most perfect pass in the world if you're a quarterback. Guy could be wide open down the field. You could hit him right between the numbers. He drops the ball. Is that the quarterback's fault? If you get your team in position, like I talk about with Tom Brady all the time. You know, Tom Brady's got, what, six Super Bowls, seven, whatever. I've lost count. But think of how many of them were because Adam Vinatieri made a game-winning kick at the very end. If Adam Vinatieri misses that field goal, does that mean Tom Brady is any less of a quarterback? even though he got them in position to make that kick? Yo, if the Seattle Seahawks don't call a pass play at the two-yard line in that one Super Bowl and just give the ball to Marshawn Lynch, they go in and score a touchdown, which means one less Super Bowl win for Tom Brady. But wait a sec. Brady, when he walked off the field, he left with a lead. But his defense almost gave it right back, allowing Seattle to go down the field. So does that mean that's a knock on Brady or should take away from his accomplishments as a quarterback? No. These are great players you're talking about, great players. And they wouldn't even be in the position to chase the top prize if not from their contributions. That, and, and that's why when he heard that, I said, bingo. Like, you mean the Milwaukee Bucks? What the hell did they win all those years before Giannis got there? And the lumps that they took along the way. Remember, Milwaukee had to build to something. They were a high seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and they stubbed their toe a couple of times before they finally won that championship. And Giannis was being talked about a guy who, well, he's not clutch. He can't do it. He can't win. We heard this all the time. I mean, for years, Peyton Manning was losing play. Peyton Manning, once upon a time, you go back to when he was still with the Colts, Peyton Manning had a losing record in the playoffs. Guy had five MVP awards, more than anybody else in the history of the game, but some people were, you know, trying to knock him because he wasn't beating Brady and the Patriots in the playoffs. I was talking about John Elway back in the day. Like, John Elway in the 80s, he took the Broncos – a Bronco team, which from top to bottom was not great. You know, those Dan Reeves coach Broncos teams. He took them to three Super Bowls. They got their you-know-what's beat in all three of those games, but they got there because of him. And yet people were saying, well, he's not one of the all-time greats because he hasn't won a Super Bowl. He's not clutch. He hasn't won. No, but you know what? They wouldn't even come close to getting there if not for him. So then what happens? Elway wins two Super Bowls as he's going out the door on his last legs of his career when he's 40 years old, and he was half the player he once was, but then his legacy is completely changed even though he had a much better team around him which helped him win Super Bowls. But then all of a sudden, we're talking about a guy who's one of the most talented to ever play the game differently just because he got a couple of more rings now? It's foolish. And that's why with this Aaron Rodgers thing, and especially from a Jets fan perspective, think about what you're getting. Think about who you're going to have under center at quarterback this year. And you hope it's for more than just one year. But let's look at just 2023. Be thankful you've got this. You got one of the best to ever do it. Yeah, I know he's 39. I get it. But he still won two out of the last three Most Valuable Player awards. When was the last time a Jet quarterback got any MVP votes ever? 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number.
Dan Grasso Show. We're rolling on until noon here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Got all your NFL draft today. Baseball, well, the Yankees are going to play. Don't know about the Mets. I mean, it would be an upset at this point if the Mets played. And, of course, you got a game six tonight, Rangers-Devils at Madison Square Garden. Let's say hi to Johnny in Brooklyn up next here on 98.7. Johnny, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. How's it going? Thank you for taking my call. What's up, John? Just wanted to ask, uh, you know, talking about Aaron Rodgers, who would you say is the NBA equivalent of Aaron Rodgers late in his career, age 39, going to a whole different team? Uh, would you compare this to LeBron going to the Lakers, Carmelo going to the Knicks, uh, Paul Pierce going to the Nets? Who would you say, who would you compare him to in the NBA? It's a good question. Not the latter two guys, because Carmelo never won anything. Um, Paul Pierce, you know, was part of some good teams there in Boston. He won a championship, was a finals MVP and all that stuff. But, you know, Paul Pierce was never an MVP player in the NBA. You know what I'm saying? Like as far as regular season. I mean, you're talking about Aaron Rodgers is one of the, the 10 greatest players to ever play the position. You know, I, I'd have to think about that one. This late in a career like this. Um, let me think about that and I'll come back because it's, it's a unique circumstance. I can't say – I don't want to go the Michael Jordan going to Washington because that was a unique circumstance. That was – you know, there were business tie-ins with that and everything. I mean, LeBron going to the Lakers, that's not – not terrible – not terror. I mean, Duncan never changed team. Olajuwon was shot when he went to the Toronto Raptors, which was a joke. You know, Shaq was on too many teams as is, like at the end of his career when he was going from Cleveland to Boston, and but he was on his last legs. Uh, even the Phoenix Shaq. Um, Kobe never switched teams. <sighs> Boy, that's tough. It might, it, it might be like LeBron with the Lakers. It might be. I'll see if I can come up with a better one. Uh, Mitch in East Windsor, up next here on 98.7. Mitch, good morning. How are you? How you doing, Dan? How's everything? You're right. It's like the East Coast is going to be like Seattle. These New Seattle, I call this state now. Uh, and I, look, I looked at what the, I mean, the coming week is going to be too nice either. I think next week is going to be deja vu. Um, before I get to my points, I would say Dan Marino. Because uh, I, I don't, just don't Dan know. Dan Marino never went Dan to Re- another team, though, Mitch. Yeah, he never went to another team. He he, he didn't complain so much as Mr. A-Rod, Mr. A-Rod here. But um, with, with, with the draft, um, all right, they finally get the trade done. I think the Jets should have taken uh, Nolan instead of, an, uh, I think he's a more well-known uh, linebacker than Mr. McDonald the fourth. And one out of tight end, uh, they had to, there was some good tight ends they passed over too. And, and with the Giants on the later rounds, take a fly on Tana McKee or DTR. I'm interested, even, even with the Jets. But I think the Jets still have a tough road to get to that championship if he's only going to play two years. I know we'll see how it goes. Shape, Mitch, Mitch, I got to run. Thanks a lot for the uh, – Mitch was all over the place. I mean, we got a weather update. We got, you know uh, – I mean, maybe Mitch wasn't following along the conversation. I mean – we're thinking about guys who went to another team. Dan Marino played his whole career with the Dolphins. Oh, my gosh. We need to towel off after that one. Uh, we come back. We'll get into some more conversation. Got the Knicks. Have some more draft stuff. We'll get into the baseball as well as both of our locals 
Just seems to can't get anything going offensively here of late. Dan Gross is over another 60 right here on 98.7 ESPN.